This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Mike McAdan from thisisground.com revealed how they were able to launch a catalog of original products in just three years. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that went on Shark Tank and turned down two offers but still built a million-dollar business. In this episode, you'll learn how to finally take action on your business or product idea, how to reverse engineer the life you want, and what is the optimal price point for a Kickstarter. Today, I'm joined by Don Haney from nerdwax.com. That's N-E-R-D-W-A-X.com. Nerdwax is a beeswax based blend of all natural and certified organic ingredients, especially formulated to keep your glasses in place and was started in 2014 and based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Don. Thanks so much. Man, you like got our tagline. I didn't even have to do it. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We do we do some research on, on, on the companies, uh, thankfully. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah, so excited to have you on. Uh, I think um, you know, there's a lot of things we get into. So let's dive right into it. Tell us a little bit more about your store and what is the product that that you sell. Great. Yeah. So Nerd Wax basically is an all-natural wax, just like you said, that keeps your glasses in place. About five years ago, I was a touring audio engineer and I would do all these outdoor concerts um, <clears throat> working with uh, mostly country artists because we're based out of Nashville. And there was times where I'd be outside at a summer festival or something and I would look down and my glasses would literally fall off my face because I was so sweaty. It was super gross. And uh, I just, I tried different products on the market like straps and bands and hooks and nothing really worked out for me. Uh, And so I was one show in Texas that I can remember exactly the day that I had the idea. And we were sitting there uh, uh, and the artist I was working for was on stage and she had on these huge aviator sunglasses and they just kept sliding her nose and she would have to stop playing acoustic guitar to push him back up on her face. And I was so distracted and just thought, ah, there needs to be a solution for this that somebody who is on stage could wear and they wouldn't be ashamed to wear it. Like a band or a hook, you know, is obvious that you're, you have something on your glasses. So, um, I grew up around board sports and so surfers use wax in the water, uh, you know, to keep uh, friction on their surfboards. And I thought, man, if I can make like a surf wax for your glasses, that would be really cool. Uh, it'd be invisible. You wouldn't see it. It's not like pads where you have to cut them to shape. Um, it would work with any kind of glasses and thought, I bet I could make something like that. So that started the process. Uh, I came home, I told my wife, I was like, babe, you will not believe the idea I have. And she was kind of like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I have ideas all the time. And I don't think she took me seriously until boxes of wax and tubes showed up uh, on our doorstep. And so I uh, just started playing around with it. I was on the road. I'd take it out, I'd try it out for myself. Give it out to friends and family, and people started asking me where they could buy it. And I was like, "Man, I, th- I think we have a business here." So that started the whole process. Um, we went through a huge life change while I was on the road. I was spending like 250 days a year out on the road, and thought, 
I just am miserable. I have a wife and three kids. Like I want to be home more. And how can I make a change and get off the road? And while I was thinking through all this, I actually lost my job. All in a two-week period, I lost my job. My wife broke her ankle. Both our cars broke down. And our landlord called and said he wasn't going to renew our lease. And so we'd have to move. It was just like life just pushed me into a corner. And I realized, I said, you know, I could get another job back out on the road, but you know what, I'm going to use this opportunity and this kind of like crux to change it and go do something different. So I ended up taking two jobs in town in Nashville. I was working 80 hours a week. I put NerdWax on hold because I, I, um, I was just like completely overwhelmed with life. And, uh, it took two years to get back to a place where I thought, you know, um, I'm, I'm back in a place in life where I have some bandwidth and I looked around me and I'm a big fan of using what you have. And we didn't have a bunch of money. We didn't know anybody that could invest in a business. And so I thought, you know, let's go to Kickstarter, see what the Kickstarter community, uh, has to say about this and see if we can raise some support. So that was the initial push into Kickstarter. And, uh, we launched our Kickstarter in April of 2014 and we launched at midnight And seconds after we launched, we got our first backer. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I wasn't going to, I like had all of our social media planned to launch the next morning at 8 a.m. And some guy in like Singapore or Taiwan or something is sitting at his computer and sees my project and is just like, hey, I'll back that for 10 bucks. And so it was this mind opening thing. I was like, wow, like there's a whole bunch of people on the other side of the world that are like, yeah, I love your idea. Go for it. Um, and so when we woke up in the morning, we had already raised $1,700 of our $5,000 goal. And, uh, so we were funded by about lunchtime on the first day of the campaign. And by the end of the campaign, we had raised $60,000. So that really pushed us into business. Um, before that, I was not even, uh, thinking that it would take off the way that it did. I thought we would do a Kickstarter. We'd, we'd do our first run and we'd have to like roll out to these small optical shops around our area and build out regionally. And that was what I was prepped for. So when we had this like huge, like international success with NerdWax, and I know 60,000 in sales is not that big, but we were shipping tubes to Taiwan and Malaysia and Singapore in Australia. And I just thought, you know what, there is demand for this. I got to run hard. So, uh, I, I left my full-time job that I had just gotten a nine to five job. I left that job and took a part-time job and, uh, launched into, uh, to, to NerdWax. So I know that was a long monologue. Sorry for that, but that is the story of, uh, of NerdWax. Yeah, no, no, I think that's a great overview. We'll, we'll kind of dive into the different parts of your story. Um, so starting with the, the, the idea first, you know, you mentioned that you are always coming with ideas and I think you're just like all the other listeners out there where you have an idea and you can't wait to share with your, your, your best friend or can't wait to share with your significant other. So did you have a, a background in pursuing other businesses or pursuing other, uh, launching other products or were you just kind of thinking of ideas, you know, nonstop? Yeah, absolutely. So I had, I hadn't done anything 
official. I was the king of starting uh, ideas and not finishing them. It's like the guy who has a, a garage full of business cards. Like that was me. You know, you you launch into the idea and then you realize that the execution is going to be so much harder than the idea and you just drop it. And there's actually a scene in our Kickstarter video where uh, my nerd wax box that I had packed everything up to, it's in our basement. And I had set it on top of all of the other failed ideas that I had. And I really went into that uh, shot uh, with a lot of um, kind of significance for myself saying, hey, this is the idea that I'm going to finish. Like I'm going to take it and I'm going to finish it out well. And whatever that means, I still don't know what that means. But um, I'm going to take this until it's run its course and I know that I've put everything into it that I could put. So um, as far as like business background, I was a touring audio engineer, uh, which has nothing to do with starting your own business. Uh, But it does have a lot to do with troubleshooting. And what I learned within uh, being an audio engineer and troubleshooting signal flow is you can take any complex problem, you can take any uh, thing that you want to learn and you can troubleshoot it. You can break it all out into its individual components and you can look at it at the granular level and say, here's where the problem is. Here's the challenge. Here's the solution to that. Um, and so that skill I think has, has played really big into, uh, me being able to, uh, have the success that we've had so far, uh, with NerdWax. Yeah, so the the part where you're talking about how you decided that this was the project, this was the product, this was the idea that you will make a reality, it's it's a common theme I hear from other successful entrepreneurs that will say that the only time they started having success was when they made that commitment and said that I'm going to take this idea, even if it's not perfect, even if I don't know how to do it, I'm just going to commit to making it work or until I go broke or until I go homeless. Basically saying that you're going to push this idea all the way through and find out for sure if it's going to work or not. So for you, like what? because you had this history of coming with ideas, like you're saying you were the idea person, you have a garage full of ideas, but uh, not pursuing any of them. Like what made it different this time around? How did you break out of that, that, that cycle of just coming up with the idea but not actually pushing it all the way through? Yeah, it's, it's actually really funny that we're talking about uh, this on a podcast because it's kind of meta. So um, after my second year, after I quit the road, I was working for Dave Ramsey as the um, Entree Leadership podcast producer. And so I was producing the podcast for Dave Ramsey and we were uh, four small business owners dissecting world-class leaders. So we'd had, you know, Seth Godin and Mark Cuban. Um, we had had uh, Pat Lenshoni and all of these, uh, you know, really great people and entrepreneurs and then I was looking at these small business owners that were part of the Entree Leadership community. And I noticed that the common thread with all of them was not that they were all extremely intelligent, which some of them were. It wasn't that they all were super talented, which some of them were. All of them had the same thing in common, which was they just decided to go for it. They just went for it. And they all had gone for it so many times and failed in so many ways that eventually one took off. And I think that was the common thread. I realized I was like, you know, you can't be afraid of failure. Um, the nature of putting out a goal, if you put a, a goal on the ice in a hockey rink, you're going to miss it. Like not even Wayne Gretzky hits the goal every single time. Just the nature of setting a goal means you're going to fail. Uh, if you are not failing, like 
you're not setting a hard enough goal. It, you know, it, that's the reason that a hockey goal isn't the entire width of the hockey ring, right? Like mm. you have to set goals that are challenging. And the, when they do, it creates a value. It becomes a game. It becomes something that is, that is challenging and you can accomplish. Um, but that nature of like the sweetness of hitting that goal is only there because of the challenge and the amount of times that you fail. And so what I realized is um, I had built softeners into all of my prior misses. I had always said um, I wasn't, uh, you know, I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I'm not ready for this in my life. Like this stands in my way, that stands in my way. Instead of looking at it and going, no, the reason that this failed was me. Like I, if you're standing there uh, on the, you know, <clears throat> free throw line and you're shooting towards that basket and you miss the backboard, like it doesn't do you any good to be like, oh, I'm, my shoelace wasn't tied. Like you have to go, Hey, I missed the backboard. I need to get this thing, you know, two feet to the left and then reshoot. And if you don't build an accurate misses, if you don't admit your failures in truth, then you never get better. And so that was the thing as I realized, you know, I have to be honest with myself and realize that the reason that I haven't had any success um, is that I didn't define success correctly. And to me, success is an achieved goal. And so that means that whatever that goal is, once you have achieved it, you are successful. And I think a lot of people in business and in life, they achieve awesome things. And we look at them and we go, man, they're so successful. And they feel internally like complete failures. And a lot of times that is because they haven't um, defined success they haven't defined that goal. And so the things that they have achieved are not really of, of, of um, a ton of value to them. And so I realized that in my own life when I was on the road, uh, I had a gig that people would kill for. There was thousands of people in line for my gig, mm. but I wasn't happy in it because it was never my goal. I had never set out to be a front of house engineer, to be a monitor engineer, you know, a tour manager on the road. That was never my dream or my goal. And so I had this awesome thing. I was making decent money and I was unhappy at the root of me. And it was because I hadn't defined that for myself. And so this whole course of realizing all these things like, hey, I have to regain control of my life. I have to make some decisions. I have to look at not what I would want or what the optimum uh, platform would be to have my thing come to existence. Like I have to decide to go for it today. And then I have to admit that I'm going to fail at times and I have to be okay with that because if I'm not, I'm never going to get better and I'm never going to do anything. And so as I was dissecting all these world leaders, I just, I was like, man, the biggest difference between me and Mark Cuban or me and Seth Godin is they just went for it. You know, they, they went for it and did it and I'm sitting here and I'm not doing it. And I think that's the big thing is, you know, you're not guaranteed success. Everybody's like, yeah, go for your dreams. You know, if you see Taylor Swift on stage at the, at the MTV awards and she's like, for all you teen out there, like go for it. Well, I live in Nashville. I see all of the Taylor Swifts that didn't make it that are equally as talented, equally as beautiful and didn't, you know, didn't achieve that thing. And so you can't base it off of the people that are wildly successful. You know, not everybody is going to be Mark Zuckerberg. But if you define success as the goal that you want to achieve for yourself, 
then and you go for it, then you can achieve that goal. Um, and whatever that is, you know, whatever that is for whoever's listening, like just go for it, but make sure that it's your thing. Make sure that it's not the thing that you feel like is like the rock star thing to go after. Make sure that it's your thing and that you're going to be happy with that lifestyle that you create for yourself. Yeah, I think you're definitely on to something about how if you don't define exactly what the goal is, then you may never be happy because you may achieve all of these things that other people uh, that look you know, at you, at your highlight reel, think that, wow, this guy's successful, he's done, done all these amazing things, but inside you don't feel that way. Do you think that that's also a opportunity to to be, I guess, to have gratitude? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I think that's the other side of the coin, right? About being grateful for the success that you have, even though you might not have set it out set out to achieve it as the primary goal. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely, one hundred percent. So. It happens every day. If you go for it, what you realize once you become an entrepreneur, and I was, I was really like uh, blessed to be around a lot of entrepreneurs when I was working at Entree Leadership to see that they all had the same pain points. They all had the same struggles. And you are going to have them. When you set out to, to, to do anything, whether it's creative or whether it's business-based, like you are going to have the struggle and it's going to get hard. And when you do, your attitude and how you perceive that defines your ability to keep going. And so you know, gratitude is one of the like number one, like mind shifters. <laughs> it's the one way that you can look at your perspective and you can realign yourself to keep going. Uh, every day there's moments where I'm like, man, I'm a genius. Like I got this thing nailed. And then like two minutes later I get an email and I'm like, ah, oh, why do I even do this? Like I suck. And it's, it's like that when you're an entrepreneur and you've put yourself out there or you're doing a creative work and you put yourself out there and you're being vulnerable, you're going to have those swings. And most people don't see that because it's behind the curtain. And that's what po- that's why podcasts like this are so great is because I like if I'm vulnerable, hopefully somebody listening to this will take something that I've said, even if it's just like a little tiny nugget and they'll apply it to themselves and then they can pay that forward. Um, but I look at myself all the time and, and in the midst of it, I can look around me and I can look at the other business owners around me who are at <clears throat> 5X or 10X where I'm at. And I can be like, man, it'd be so nice to be them. But you have to remember that they have 5X and 10X the problems. They, they have different problems or di- you know, different challenges that they face than I do. And so you know, we're, uh, we're about to leave town for a few weeks to, to go on vacation with my family. When I was out on the road, I didn't take a vacation. I didn't, we got married and got pregnant right away. And <clears throat> 10 years later, I look up and I haven't taken a vacation. I've worked 250 plus days a year away from my family on the road. And I realized like, I, uh, I can't do this. And so to, you know, this Friday, when we leave for vacation, we're gone for two weeks. I can actually still work on my business. I can still be working and I can give a hundred percent in the mornings. And then I can go out in the afternoon and I can go spend time with my family. And I have to remember in times that it gets hard, like, Hey, I get to do something that 
like millions of people would love to be able to do. And so be grateful for that and, and, and enjoy the moments of success, the moments where you've achieved a goal. That was one of my goals in starting this company was that I would be able to spend more time with my family. And so, you know, in the next two weeks while we're out there and we're hanging out together, I'm going to be constantly reminding myself, like, this is why I do it, you know, and cause it will happen in two months from now, there's going to be some huge struggle and I'm going to be in it. And then I'm going to have to remind myself, Hey, this is the season where we got to hustle. This is a season where we got to buckle down and to remember like, Hey, there's seasons of, of, uh, of sowing. And then there's seasons of harvesting. Mm. So. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great, great perspective to have. And one thing that I've, I guess, kind of a, a mind hack that I've used to, to be more grateful with what you have is to just change the way that you talk to yourself internally. And one, one big way to do that is just, uh, I think a lot of times we spend our days, especially as entrepreneurs, especially as people that spend so much time working, we start, ha- start having this conversation in our heads about, I have to do this or I have to do that or I have to you know, launch this or I have to write this blog and just change it around and say, I, I get to, or I get to yeah. work on this, I get to write this blog, I get to do these things because not everybody can has the opportunity to do those things even if it's considered work you can still be in a position uh, that that's highly i guess envious even though you are putting in all that kind of work absolutely so i want to you know it sounds like you've been able to take a very objective and unbiased look at yourself and that's what i think that's what you're crediting your your latest success to because you've been able to to do that was it always easy for you to look at yourself objectively like this or how did you build this kind of skill and this, um, I guess, vulnerability to, to look at yourself so objectively? Man, that's such a great question. I haven't really thought about that. Like, I definitely have always done it. Like, I, as long as I can remember, I've felt like there was something that I was supposed to do. And I've always felt like I am um, kind of um, along for this journey. And I don't, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what it's in, it's, it's uh, why it's so intrinsic in me to, to look at my life from that objective standpoint. But um, yeah, it's just always been there. Yeah, I think it's um, one of those uh, attributes that defines, not defines, but really helps uh, create an entrepreneur, someone that just feels it within themselves that they have to do certain things to achieve their goals. So yeah, I'm not surprised that that you've always felt this way. Um, So you mentioned a little bit earlier about how your previous uh, job, your previous career, you've been able to troubleshoot things and break things down when you want to learn something. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, How would you approach, say, an entrepreneur, a entrepreneur out there needs to learn all these different things to launch their business and to market their business and they're approaching a, a marketing channel or you know whatever it is that they've never done before how would you approach this I guess from a high level how would you break down a new skill that you have to learn to run your business uh, Google <laughs> I know that's such a like lame thing, but man, we have so many resources at our fingertips right now. It's amazing the amount there's, there's, I mean, there's almost zero excuses for you not to go out and do your thing today because of the internet, because of our connection to people, because we can access any kind of niche. 
you can find people for whatever it is, the thing that you want to do. And if you can't, then move on to the next thing because there is, there's always something for anyone. I, I mean, I, I look at products that are sold online and I'm like, I can't even believe that somebody is selling this, mm. but there's a market for it because the internet has given us the ability to, to like Seth Godin says, to, to be weird and to embrace that and to find each other online. And so <clears throat> with troubleshooting, with going out and trying to find stuff, I mean, YouTube's a huge resource, obviously. Um, podcasts have, I think, been one of the best resources for me. So while I was working at Dave Ramsey, the early Entree Leadership podcasts uh, were were really great. I kind of went back into the the library of the past and, and found some, some people there. Uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast has been huge. Um, I, I, I know it's super popular. It's really, really, it's like wading through deep mud. It's really hard to listen to and they're really long. But I always pull a nugget out of those things. Um, <clears throat> to be honest, I'm not a huge reader. Uh, when I was producing the Entree Leadership Podcast, I did have to read a ton of business books and I still apply those lessons to my life. And I realized while reading those books that uh, you can basically read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of every chapter and get the entire chapter. Because generally the way business mm. books are written is they kind of like uh, they kind of give you the, the idea up front, then they put filler and then they summarize the idea at the end. And so you can pretty much go through any book and read it that way. Um, and I'm not super encouraging people to do that because you might miss the, the, the lesson or the analogy or the metaphor that's going to trigger you to have that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but if you want to go through, if you have a limited amount of time and you want to go through and do that, you know, there's websites out there like executive summary that will help you do that. Um, but I think uh, the the most important thing and the key is identify the people that you can look at and you could go, man, I think I think their type of life is the life that I want. Um, so in my experience, like uh, looking at Seth Godin and and watching him build his his thing, he you know he's a lone wolf. He he works at his thing by himself. Uh, and I kind of, uh, identify with that. Um, so uh, to date, our company is just my wife and myself, uh, and we do everything and we hire out independent contractors. Um, and, uh, you know, we sell through Amazon as a channel, but we do all of our fulfillment. Uh, we do all of our manufacturing. Uh, you know, I design pretty much most of our stuff. And so, uh, we, uh, do a lot of it. And so I've looked at these people, um, like Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin and tried to identify the people. Um, Casey Neistat is one of those people that I think recently Mm -hmm. I've been really into uh, because of the fact that he's been able to build his thing by himself for a long time. And now he's, he's learning the skill set of building a bigger team and surrounding himself with uh, more and more people. So I think identifying people that you think, man, those, those people have got some things figured out and then starting to dissect it with the uh, acknowledgement that whenever you see something online, whenever you see the Instagram post or the Facebook post, you're seeing what somebody wants you to see. And so the tendency when you're doing that is to look at their life and to draw that comparison and to go, man, I'm not there. Uh, Yeah, you're not there. And they probably aren't 
there. They're probably not in the place that you think they are. And so you have to remember like, hey, everybody's human. They probably have struggles too. Um, and if you get the opportunity to listen to long form podcasts like Tim Ferriss, a lot of times you catch those little nuggets. You catch the things that come out where they say like, hey, here's the like, one of the things that I struggle with in my own life. Um, and you can help identify that with that. And it, and it helps to give you a baseline uh, for for your uh, your reference point. Yeah, I think um, I think the, the 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 I guess the terminology or phrase I've liked the most when you are paying attention to people's uh, online I guess portfolio of their life is the, that it's a highlight reel and not the actual days or nights of struggle to get to where it's at. And like you're saying, it's what they want you to see. So obviously they're going to curate it. No one wants to put out their flaws. Uh, too publicly, so I think that's definitely important to keep in mind. Um, so I, th- I like this idea of that you said that find out uh, the people or the person whose life you want to live or you want to replicate. And because I've never heard anyone say this way before, but it, it makes a lot of sense because a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, uh, that get started, that are listening to this podcast, they want to pursue an idea because they want a specific kind of lifestyle where they want to leave some kind of, maybe not so much a legacy, but they want to have some kind of impact. So once you've identified this life that you, this person or this life that you want to live, how do you go about reverse engineering it? How, how do you actually get that or start making progress towards having that kind of life? Yeah, that's really good. I, I, for me, that has just been to consume as much of the content as possible. And then, you know, the trick is that you, we, in that you have to remember, and cause this is a thing within business that we look and we want to be able to kind of industrialize it and put the clone stamp on it and, uh, and replicate it. And, and the truth is like, we have fingerprints for a reason, you know, we're unique individuals in a universe of expansion and chaos. And so our very existence means that we are unique. You know, each breath that we take changes the fabric of the universe. And remembering that um, when you live, you can't replicate, you know, like I'm not going to be Seth Godin or Casey Neistat or Tim Ferriss or any of these people that I've said, I'm going to be me. Um, but I can look at the lessons that they've learned. I can look at the wisdom that they have and I can glean from it and then I can apply it to who I am. And so I think whenever you are getting into something for the first time, uh, when you start to replicate somebody, you're going to look like a copycat when you first start to do it. Everything that you do is going to start looking like that person or Mm -hmm. sounding like that person. And as you get through that phase, you start to realize your voice and your own way of doing things. And if your whole life is in that beginning copycat phase, like don't get caught there. Like do your thing, like move past it. Um, but sometimes just getting started is the hardest part. So for me, looking at those lives and going, Hey, like I want to start getting myself on a trajectory where I'm my own, I'm in charge of my own universe. You know, like I don't have somebody giving me a tour guide that I have to follow. I don't have like a roadmap that I have to do. I want to be able to pave that way and pioneer my path. And so I want to find people that have been able to do that for themselves and then start to see like, what did, what did their path look like? How did they navigate those waters? And then, like you said, um, just that ability to be objective about your own life and kind of pull up and see the 30 foot view of it, um, has been, been huge. Um, because you don't, you don't simply want to replicate what other people have done. You definitely want to glean from them, take what they have done and then 
find ways to apply it to your own interests and what makes you you. I, I like that that little gem that you dropped in there about how when you first get started in anything, you're going to look at copycat. Obviously, don't stay there, but then also don't get discouraged from doing and feel like you're just a poser or you're you know you're fake or whatever, and, and not continue to pursue it because you know you think about other ways that people learn how to pick up any skill. Like if you're learning to play a new instrument, you don't get started by just creating your own music right off the bat. No one makes any progress that way. You start off by copying what already exists just so that you can get in the game and just that once you're in the game, that's the only, only time you can really figure out your style and who you are. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you consume a lot of podcasts. You know, you 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 did read a lot of books before, and I think uh, this is, um, I guess, uh, really applicable for the listeners of this podcast. Making that tra- and then also really applicable to your kind of path where you had all these ideas, you have all this content, all this knowledge in your head. But the execution part is when it starts getting hard. So how do you make that transition from picking up what you've learned in the podcast or picking up what you've learned by reading books or blogs or whatever else anyone else is consuming and then actually putting that into action and actually using uh, first, I guess, first identifying what you what you want to put into action and actually going through with it? Like, what's your process for that? Yeah. Um, so one of the things it's like, like, I, I think we just kind of like touched on it real quick, but just getting started is always the hardest part. You know, like if you've got a bus sitting there, the hardest part is getting the bus moving that first little bit. And so getting people around you and surrounding yourself with people who want to see your thing succeed is huge. Um, I, you know, like that, the Kickstarter thing for us was, was that for this, um, that's not the path for everybody, obviously. Like, um, I know plenty of people that are around me that have done Kickstarters that have failed. Um, but that's starting, you know, like that's getting going. Then you change, take that failure and you modify and then you do it again. Um, if you start pushing the bus and it goes a little bit and you're like upset that it's not like 65 miles an hour right away, like, Hey, don't worry about it. Like it'll happen on the next one. And so I think, um, for myself, um, in particular, this whole idea of going from idea and theory to execution is just, just literally doing it, going out and doing it. So if you want to start the website, get online and just start building it to stop making excuses. Stop like saying, I need five grand to pay a developer. Like we live in the world of Shopify. Um, you know, like I have a great actual Shopify story we might touch on at some point, but, um, you know, I was waiting on developers to build a website for me. And I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this myself because they're six months behind. I'm not getting what I want out of it. So I'm going to go on Shopify and I'm going to actually build a website. And I built it in a week. And then I had my friend who's a coder come back and fix all the mistakes that I had made ripping it apart. Um, but that's just the thing. I'm, I was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to go start with the free trial. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to see if I can make a mess and make something happen. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, you just have to get in there and start doing whatever it is today. Uh, when I was working at, at Dave Ramsey and I'm producing this podcast and I'm working nine to five and it's not like, I'm not moving forward at the speed that I want to. And I'm struggling and I'm like, uh, what am I supposed to do here? I realized like, 
oh, I'm working 40 hours a week. I have another 40 hours that I could easily give because I the year before that was working 80 hours a week. Like I know that I have more, more time. Like we all have the same amount of time. It's how bad do you want it? So when I realized that it was like, I came home from work and two hours, you know, I'd get my kids in bed and then I'd go work on my thing that night. And so whatever it is that is holding you back, instead of being like, I wish I had this thing to get started. Just go, what can I do with what I have today? And there are resources, like I said, online. And if you just ask that one question of yourself, what can I do with what I have today? That, that activates a completely different part of your brain and it will help you just go start doing something. Mm, I really like that. I think that that's an important thing to just almost like just have it printed out and put in a wall in front of you because a lot of times, even though we don't realize it consciously, we make up a lot of excuses. It makes up a lot of obstacles just so that we can excuse ourselves from getting started. And I think it might be going back to laziness or fear of, of failure. I'm not sure what it is, yeah, but a lot of times, yeah, we just create these obstacles. Uh, so, you know, you, you're, you're basically suggesting people just get started, take action. You know, Mark Zuckerberg was the famous one for saying move fast, break things for anybody that joins Facebook for the first time. Do you think it's possible or is it possible that you could take action too quickly? Like, is there a scenario where you might be moving too fast? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so here's here's my theory on that. Um, I think if you if you take the hard road, which is if you go out and you just start making stuff. So, okay, like it, we're in the e-commerce space. So, right. So, let's say you have an idea to make some kind of. I, I'm looking at a wallet uh, that was like handmade in front of me. So, you want to start making wallets, right? Well, the wallet space is like there's a million people selling wallets, but they're easy to make. People always need wallets. And so see if it's going to make you happy to make some wallets, like make 10 or 12 wallets and see if you can sell them and start with 10 or 12. And then once you've sold those 12, take it to another 24 and reinvest the money that you made making the 24. If you've done anything more than break even, keep selling wallets, you know, like go for it. Where I think you move too fast is we want to, uh, if <clears throat> I, I like to use this analogy, like we want to lose weight, right? So we're like, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to like lose some weight. So we go to Lululemon, we buy the like yoga pants or you go to the Nike outlet and you buy the shoes and you buy the shorts and you got the thing. And then you go get the gym membership and then you run and like half a mile into it, you're like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And then you go back and it's like, don't like leverage yourself um, to a point. And that's <clears throat> one of the big lessons that I learned when we first got married. Uh, my wife and I took on just a bunch of stupid debt, like eating out too much, putting like health costs on credit cards, like just being ridiculous with money. And we uh, ended up accruing like $80,000 in debt that was just crippling. And a lot of the reason that I was on the road in gigs that I didn't want to keep doing was that I was trying to pay off our debt and I was trying to do the responsible thing and get back out of it. And because of that, uh, debt really taught me a lesson, which is it can be a tool to help you get over a wall. It's like a rope. 
right? Like it can be a, it can be a rope to help you get over the wall, but it can also tie you up behind the wall. And so I think when you're starting the thing, the thing that, that gets you like it, you asked by the question, can I move too fast? I don't know if it's that you move too fast. I think it's that you think too fast. So you get into this, um, trap of, I'm going to raise a bunch of money. I'm going to go do this thing. And you don't really even know if you have a real business yet. You don't really know if the idea is fully formed yet. You know, just because you have a great idea doesn't mean that you have a great business. Just because you have a great product doesn't mean you have a great business. And so learn in stages and go for it in stages. So go, so get out there and start making a mess and start doing things, but try not to leverage yourself. All of my failed ideas that like I had put stuff down in the basement that I put the nerd wax box in, like all of those failed ideas were me going out. Like one of them was like screen printing t-shirts. At one point I just like got really into screen printing t-shirts and I went and bought like a whole basement load of like screen printing stuff to make screen like to screen print t-shirts like and it was terrible I hated it and if I had just gone to like a screen printing shop and said hey can I intern for free in the afternoons and done it maybe I would have enjoyed it but the idea that I'm gonna like start this screen printing business in my basement like was such a terrible terrible way to start but I learned from that and I moved it into you know that failure was definitely something that I carried forward, but like start small, like just start small and start going. And when you start small and then you build to the next thing and then you build to the next level, I don't know that you can move too fast doing it that way. Mm, makes sense. So yeah, let's talk about your very first step towards creating this business, which is the Kickstarter campaign. And just to recap really quickly, you only had a goal of $5,000, ended up raising over $60,000 from nearly 3,000 backers. So you said that you got your very first uh, backer just from some some stranger you didn't know, like yeah. that, that, like within 24 hours of launching. Uh, did you? How, how did that happen? Like, you know, 2014 wasn't that long ago because you know I think Kickstarter was a lot easier back in its inception, but 2014 wasn't that long ago. Yeah. How did you? Um. How, what do what do you, what do you credit the first kind of the, I guess the traction to that that early? So I think it all comes down to like people all the time say like, you got to have a good idea. Like you have to have a good idea and a compelling uh, product. And so I think we have that with NerdWax. I think it's something that people actually go, oh man, I wish I would have thought of that. And I think that um, it's, it's, it's a really cool new thing that hits on a lot of uh, pain points for a lot of people. And it's a thing that people didn't really know was a problem. Like it's one of, I, I think in the video I say like, it's something that I never knew I needed, but once I have it, I can't imagine life without it. And so, um, it's one of those things. So I think that helped, uh, in our Kickstarter, uh, you know, just that early traction came from people who, uh, subscribe to like basically Kickstarter blogs. Like, and so they have kick tracker and they see all these new projects and they can just enjoy being, uh, the first to move and, and helping, uh, new products and new ideas. And uh, I think the low price point helped us, you know, it's a $10 product. Uh, so that was easy. You know, people who are in, you know, overseas can justify 10 bucks and they're like, Hey, I'll give you $10. Uh, you know, the Kickstarter thing, if you can, 
uh, find a price point around $20, that's like the optimum price point for Kickstarter because people don't have a problem dropping $20. And if you fail, like it's not a big risk. Um, and then I also had bigger levels. We had three people, one of which I was a complete stranger, give us $500 in the campaign. Wow. Um, and we had some crazy support. And I realized if you don't build those levels into the campaign, you're, you're essentially just leaving money on the table because the people in the Kickstarter community actually like people and they like the people that come up with the idea. So you got to have the good idea, but then also remember that you are selling you. So if you're going to Kickstarter or Indiegogo or one of these, um, you know, uh, crowdfunding platforms, you, at, at the essence, and you don't always have to do this. Obviously there's like a million projects that have not done this, but from my experience, um, and being, you know, the kind of like grassroots, like it was completely, we didn't pay for any advertising at all. Like we, our success was built on the fact that I, I was very vulnerable, let people know who I am and our story. I could do that in a very concise way. I let them know, here's what we need. Here's the challenges we face. Here's what uh, you're going to get in for helping us out. And when you can do that and, and make that, um, call to action, very precise and, and clear. I think that you can, you can move product on Kickstarter. It's, it's not, not even an issue. Yeah. I think, um, on Kickstarter and just in e-commerce in general, you, like you're saying, people want to buy from other people. They want to, they want, don't want to buy from like some, uh, faceless brand. Uh, so you're saying like, you are selling you at the end of the day. And it sounds like the way that you've done it is just by being vulnerable on the Kickstarter page on the video that you're putting out there. Do you think that that's the, the, the only way or, are there, are there other ways to, I guess, sell yourself or do you have to get out there and be vulnerable and kind of put it all out there? Yeah, I think, um, so I was heavily influenced, influenced by the Brene Brown TED talk that she did on vulnerability. And I think, uh, it was a big lesson for me of just, Hey, realizing that, that vulnerability begets vulnerability and trust mm -hmm. begets trust. And so going out there and doing that, uh, it depends on the brand that you're building, right? So with nerd wax, uh, all of our content is very personable. Like none of it feels like, uh, like a big brand. Now that might not be great for your idea. You might want to feel like a big brand. Um, you might be dealing with a lot of perceptions in a space where the trust comes from being a big brand or, or mm. looking like you have a lot of employees or whatever the thing is. Um, it, it comes down to, like we were talking about earlier, deciding what you want for your company. Um, so that's a big thing that I realize when I'm looking around and I see the five Xers and the 10 Xers like above me, Hey, they're building something that I'm not building. You know, like look at the thing that you're building and realize like, Hey, they're building a high rise or a condo or a multiplex. Like I'm building a house. Like that's okay. Like not everybody needs to build a billion dollar business. Like you can build a lifestyle business and be very happy and have bandwidth in your life to go and do the other things, um, you know, like that you want to do. So it doesn't always have to be your vocation. It can be your avocation. You can do really cool, creative, fun work without it being your income. And so a, a big thing with, with this business specifically, um, has been for me, uh, building a business that creates more bandwidth in my life. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be on the ground managing a team of 12 all the time. Like that's just not, it's not in my skill set. That's not what I'm building. So when I look around me and I see people that are, that have these businesses and that's what they're building, the tendency is to go, 
oh, they're doing it. I should probably do it too. Mm. And then you have to remind yourself, like, is that the thing you want? Like, do is that the goal that you're setting out and trying to achieve? And for me, uh, that's not what I'm trying to achieve. And so that means I sacrifice in other ways. Um, you know, like we're not going to have the gross sales that that company has. Like we're going to have much lower gross sales, but I enjoy my life and my time and w- the, the lifestyle that I'm creating while getting to build this brand. Mm-hmm. So one thing you mentioned uh, about ha- about the Kickstarter campaign was that it's a product that people d- never knew they needed. Maybe does uh, as likely they don't know that it exists. But once they try, once they purchase it, they get it. They understand why why they need a product like this. Does that how does that affect your marketing? You know, because people the sales like people aren't going to be out there searching for this particular solution because they might not even know that there is a solution like this that exists. What's your approach to to marketing the a product like this, man, it's been a, it's been a huge challenge. So the thing that we haven't talked about at all is uh, we were on Shark Tank in October of last year, and to date, that has been the biggest driver of our sales um, over you know time. So we went from one hundred thirty six thousand dollars in the beginning of uh, last year to then uh, you know uh, almost a million dollars in gross sales now to date, and m- most of that came from the traffic that was driven by by Shark Tank. Um, And I credit Shark Tank to being very similar to the way that we approached Kickstarter, which is like, I'm being vulnerable. Like this is me as an entrepreneur. This is my family. We're building this business together. And I think um, those two things have been the biggest driver of our success so far. Now, uh, we aired last October. We're going into August here pretty soon. And uh, the the traffic has slowed down from Shark Tank. We're not having that same traction that we had before. And now it gets into how are we actually going to market this in a repeatable um, way that is meaningful? Like how can I build in these funnels uh, and how can I drive traffic into those funnels? So how can I build the funnels and then how can I drive traffic into them? And so that challenge, I haven't figured out yet. That's not like where we're at in our business. Uh, but I know that that's the challenge ahead and I'm ready to and, and have been working on those for a while now. And we're going to be implementing those things here in the next couple months. Um, and so, you know, like I don't know if I have a ton to, to say like, hey, here's what we've done that's, that's um, able to drive uh, traffic to your site and ways to just go dig up. Uh, Shark Tank, Kickstarter, we are covered in Daily Mail. We're um, on Mashable. All of those things happened organically because we just started going out and making a ruckus because we did something uh, like Seth Godin says that's remarkable. So it's worth making a remark about. So somebody says they see somebody whose glasses are slipping and they do the classic like nerd on the finger glasses push. (laughs) And the person says, hey, have you heard of nerd wax? And they're like, nerd wax? What's that? Like, so we are worth making a remark about. Um, If we were like, glass sticky glasses grip and like the person's like hey your glasses are sliding you need some sticky glasses grip they're like (laughs) "Eh." you know like it's just be fun be weird be like you and whatever that is and maybe you're not weird and fun like that's okay you do you and but whatever that is like you do you and make sure that it's something if you're trying to make a ruckus if you're trying to make a noise in your space think about what is it that's going to get people talking to each other about the thing that i'm doing Mm. So yeah, I think you know, just looking at the success that you had uh, with these channels, it sounds like if you do have a product that people don't know they 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 need or don't know that that exists, 
uh, the key to marketing this is to have a remarkable product, like you're saying, or a remarkable story, yeah. and get the PR, right? Get the publications to write about you. Shark Tank, I think, is considered, I, I would consider it a form of PR as well. Yep. And that's the only way to get out to the masses, right? Because if they're not, if they're not actively searching for you, then you have to get out there in front of them, essentially. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. Let me just touch on that because people are going to hear that and, and think, well, I, I'm i not on Shark Tank or I, I'm not on Mashable. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, like I have to pay for PR or I have to do something that's hard to do. That's not necessarily true. So bloggers make their living talking about stuff, right? Like they're always looking for something to talk about. They're always looking for stories to tell. If you can write that story for them, if you can take the work out of it and you can give them the, the cool thing and you can be remarkable, they will find you. And so that's a big thing. Like, don't make the excuse of like, hey, I got to go out and, and do these things. Like, it's been awesome. Like, Kickstarter was awesome. Shark Tank was awesome. Um, but now comes the work of like, hey, how do we just make some more waves? Like, how do we get people talking? Um, so I wouldn't, uh, you can't quantify that as easy as easily as you can. Like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hire a PR person to go drive, you know, these press releases for me. That's a really quantifiable thing to do. But I think um, you can do that, but make sure that you have the infrastructure set up before you go and do that. Make sure that you have something that they're going to want to be a part of. Mm, Otherwise, you have an uphill battle. Well, yeah, definitely makes sense. Uh, so uh, speaking of Shark Tank, so you you went into uh, the tank uh, with a goal of uh, raising or uh, getting $80,000 of investments for, uh, for 20% of the business. Uh, what ended up happening? Like, What was the end result of that, that pitch on Shark Tank? Yeah, so um, I, had, I had made just like a little comment earlier about a kind of our aversion to debt, but more more or less my view on debt. And, and that is that debt just makes things more complicated. So when you take on investment, you now have different people that you have to please, you know, other than yourself and your vision and where you want to take your thing. And so we went in knowing the sharks that we wanted to align with. And we got uh, two offers, one from Kevin. And then we had a guest shark, Troy Carter, who was Lady Gaga's uh, manager, former manager. Uh, but both of them were venture debt. And so like Kevin's offer was, I'll give you the $80,000, but I want $240,000 back. Um, and I want 3% for doing that deal. So like, that's a terrible, like he wanted 10% of gross sales until his 240 was paid back. Like that's terrible. Like that is definitely the rope behind the wall. That's going to keep you from moving forward because on shark tank specifically, they know that you're going to have a big, huge wave of sales. And so a product like ours, that's like a $10 price point that has mainstream appeal, that product is probably going to make a huge amount of money here really soon. And if you can take 10% of it, like we would have, we would have like already, you know, paid Kevin back and he would now own 3% of my company and doing absolutely zero work or being a part of our business. And so unless I value that relationship and what I think he's going to do for us in the future, then it doesn't make sense to take that offer. Mm -hmm. And so for us, um, Kevin didn't really align with our brand image and the story that I wanted to tell. And so I think we would have done a deal with Kevin if he would have shown interest. You can tell on on that show when Kevin makes an offer and he's really interested in the company. 
and when he just makes like a pot odds offer that he knows is going to like pay him his money back. And so I could see very easily that he was not making us an offer that meant that he wanted to be a part of growing our business and growing our brand. He was just trying to make some money. And I don't fault him for that. He has the platform. That's awesome. Uh, but it was not something that we wanted to do. Uh, and Troy Carter was a very similar offer. And, um, you know, you're in there for an hour and they show eight minutes of your, of mm-hmm. your segment. And so you're in there talking for so long and we talked through a lot of things and I just didn't feel like there was fit. So, uh, at the end of the day, we turned down the offers in front of us and, uh, Mark and Damon were both, uh, encouraging us not to take an offer the whole time they were, they were telling us like, you guys aren't ready. Like don't take on investment now. It's a really bad idea. Like control your own destiny. And, uh, I had already kind of felt like that going in. It's, it's really hard as you're gathering all of your data and your numbers for Shark Tank. You're putting so much time and investment in, in knowing everything about your business. I realized like, Hey, like we're not really ready for like a huge investment, but we have these like manufacturing issues that we need to take care of. If they can come in and help us with those, that would be awesome. And if they can't, then that's probably uh, a no. And so when we did, we knew that there wasn't a good fit. We turned around, uh, you know, walked away from those offers. Um, but if you're looking at going on Shark Tank or part of that whole queue of uh, wanting to be in the show or you, you're a fan of the show, you, you have a business and you think it would be a great fit for Shark Tank, just remember like 30% of the deals, only 30% of the deals that you see made on TV actually close. Mm-hmm. And so when you're going into that arena, there's a high probability that it won't close. So more importantly than getting the deal is how you approach uh, being in front of that many people, right? So like the PR of it. And so controlling the story was really important to me. So the whole time I was in there, I was thinking, how are they going to edit this together? How are they going to, you know, I want to make sure that we're perceived uh, in the way that I want to be perceived. I want to make sure that we're constantly smiling, that we're super positive, that we're really excited. Like I was thinking about all of these things that I wanted people to associate with me and my brand and less about like, the investment and the nuts and bolts and like getting a deal. And I think a lot of people go in focused on the deal. And I feel like you should, you should kind of flip that, like know your numbers, know who you want to do deals with, know the investment structure, but go in there thinking, how am I going to be perceived by the American public? Because that's, that's what it comes down to for me. Like it has been a huge driver in our business and has opened so many doors for us. And I feel like the, the biggest part of that was just intentionally going in, let being vulnerable with people like we were talking about and saying like, Hey, this is who I am. This is my brand. Here's what we do. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think maybe a lot of listeners out there aren't going to pursue the same, I guess, path you're on, yeah. but maybe at a smaller scale, they are looking at uh, taking on investments either from friends and family or maybe an angel investor. And you mentioned, and I, th- I guess Mark on the show and a couple other sharks uh, said that you weren't ready yet. And I think this is a, I don't hear that too often, you know, because I hear a lot of times, especially in the startup world that we all live in today, get the money, get as quickly as possible, more money, the better. Don't worry about anything else. Just the goal is always to get more and more funding. So tell us a little about that. Like, What what, what, what was it about your business? What, what was it about the stage that you're in that that uh, made Mark say that? And I guess you also decided that you weren't ready to take on the investment. And when is a company ready to take on investments? It's a great, I don't know if there's necessarily one thing that I point to that I would say like, this is the point where you are ready. And I think what it comes down to for me is, um, there's always a trade off, right? Like when you take on money, 
you you trade either equity in your company, um, you're going to trade uh, you know percentages of profits because you're going to be paying that back with interest. So what are you trading and what are you gaining? Um, and for me, uh, like I didn't want to trade all of you know the creative you know components of our company and what we do today. A lot of people will be like. Uh, are you are you okay with the name? Because we just don't really feel like the name's a great. And I'm like, no, I love the name. That's what. <laughs> that's like a big part of it. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that. And so, whenever you bring that relationship in, um, you know, the guy that I worked for, Dave Ramsey, uh, you know, he, his big line was like, the only ship that doesn't sail is a partnership. And that just comes from him building his own business over time and being really bullheaded. And if that's you, like a partnership or taking on investment might not be the best thing for you. And that's why like in the startup space, it's like go quick, go hard or go home. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not how you have to approach it all the time. You know, like I don't work, I work a lot and I work all the time. You know, like I got up at seven this morning, it's almost nine o'clock, like I'm still going. And that's fine because I enjoy it, you know? And so uh, a big part of it to me is like, if the work is not enjoyable, if the atmosphere isn't enjoyable, if the people that you're partnering with are not enjoyable, then why do it? And so, um, you know, like, I know that's like a very vague thing, but like, I kind of approach it from a standpoint of, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's this like one size fits all, that there's a specific point in time where you take it. We all like, to get involved with the metrics, kind of like the running gear, we like to get involved with like, what's your conversion rate and where do your, what's your traffic and what's your numbers. And like, all those things are great. They help us quantify, they help us measure, they help us get better. But really like, what is the quality of your life? And I heard somebody talk recently about like, it, there's your short-term self and there's your long-term self. And if you focus on one solely, the other suffers. And so, you know, you can look at your short-term self and you can be like, I got to live for today. I'm not going to like save. I'm not going to like get health insurance. I'm just like going to go hard for it. And that's great. Like your short-term self will thrive, but your long-term self is going to suffer. If you only look at your long-term self and you're like, I'm going to save every penny I make and I'm going to like put my nose down and I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to do this job that I hate, your short-term self suffers and you die a little inside each day. And so you have to balance those two things out and you have to look at yourself as as two people, your short-term self and your long-term self, and make sure that you balance that out. Um, Myself personally, I knew the stress that debt had on us as a family and just Mm. owing people things. And I didn't want to continue to owe people things. And so if we could find an investor that was willing to give money, but wanted to be a part of the company and he was going to grow it with us, like awesome. Like that, that makes sense. Like as long as they have buy-in and as long as they're with, just know that you're trading one thing for another thing. And so, um, you know, like, uh, in, in it, I'm really happy with the business we have. And in six months, it's probably going to look completely different from what it looks like today. And so, uh, you know, just it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Be grateful for what you're building when you're building it. Um, and, and you know, look at it objectively and just ask your question. You know, Seth Godin talks about it all the time. He's like, you know, is, is the trade-off worth it? Because you make a trade-off all the time. And so just look at it and go, hey, is this worth it? Is this getting me closer to the goal? Is this getting me one step closer to the thing I'm trying to achieve? Mm, love it. So, you know, what are your goals? What are your plans for the next year? Like, what, are, what, do you, what are some things that you want to achieve for NerdWax over the next, uh, over the next year or so? 
Absolutely. So we're we're looking at right now just building on a more um, less. PR driven course, obviously, because going from Kickstarter and the success and making a ruckus online to then Shark Tank has been like these huge, big peaks and then a huge valley. And I'm really excited about taking a more level momentum, you know, like uh, look at the future and plan a few months out, six, eight months out. We actually have some bandwidth now. That's part of like owning your own business. You get to decide where all the money goes. We're not sucking a bunch of it out. We have a buffer like for the first first time ever in our entire lives we have a buffer and so like i have a time buffer and a and a and a financial buffer and we can look at that and it and it frees your brain up to make better choices and so right now i am looking at next year and and thinking like what products do i want to add how am i going to approach that and like you were saying earlier, changing the mindset from I have to, to I get to. So I have this thing inside me and I always have where it's like the pistol P always said when he's practicing, he felt like somebody was getting better than him or when he wasn't practicing, he felt like somebody was getting better than him. And I always feel that fire inside of me. That's like, I have to get to the next thing. Like I have to go do the next thing or whatever it is. And I get really bent out of shape about like, the next thing. And this last season has been like, oh, you know what? I get to do the next thing. Like I get the opportunity right now Mm. and the challenges in front of me of like, hey, how am I going to market this moving forward? That's the challenge that I get to solve today. Um, And so it's been really fun. Like I've changed my, uh, my mindset on it and it's been challenging. It's sucked at times, but it's also been really fun just because my mindset has been like, what am I going to do next? Like, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. Awesome. Thanks so much, Don. So nerdwax.com is the website, N-E-R-D-W-A-X.com. Anyone else you recommend our listeners check out to follow along with what you're up to? Yeah, uh, we're nerdwaxed on all of the things. So <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, we're nerdwaxed. We're going to hopefully, hopefully we're going to be doing some more YouTube content. I think that's going to be a really fun channel for us. Um, we've been talking a lot about me and my family and our story. And I hope uh, that here in the future, we're going to see, I don't know if it's going to stick, but we're going to try to start doing some YouTube stuff. And I think that it it might be really fun and it might be a really cool channel channel for us. So yeah, nerdwax. Awesome. Thanks so much, Don. Thanks, Felix. I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.